0: Hello Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber and for $5 a month you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Ye of the, the the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under all things Dwyer, or you can just go to thematdwyer.com. Thank you and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, I i don't know if you just heard, I dropped my notebook. It was speaking of, of music, the song that played me in is Wait for Springtime from the EP Immigrant, which you could buy on Joyful Noise Music, and that is by Kishibashi. And my guest today is Karu Ishibashi, who pretty much is Kishibashi. It's his band. And the name of his band is a play on his last name. And he's also played with Up Montreal and Regina Spector. And if you haven't heard Kishibashi, I really encourage you to listen to it. I can't imagine you haven't since he's wildly popular. And I would assume most of my listeners are pretty hip to what goes on out there in the music world. But if you haven't, it's really great. He's a phenomenal songwriter and his music takes me on these emotional journeys that I really Really appreciate and love, and it's just goddamn beautiful. So please go to the show notes, go to his band camp, go to the Joyful Noise website, purchase the music. If you follow me on social media, you might know that I have a workers' right, rights streak in me about unions and paying people proper wages, and I think that also translates to art and music. Um, streaming doesn't properly compensate one's labor for the music that they have created because they get .08 cents a dollar. And that's just not effing fair, in my opinion. So buy music when you can. I know it's tar- hard for some of you. It's hard for me sometimes, it has been, but I always try to buy or support in some way that I can because it's very important. Um, and you could go to themattdweire.com and check out more links to my social media and other things. Um, I, this is a, a really great conversation, and I've been lucky to have a lot of these lately on the podcast where I talk... Where I, a, I learned things and uh, have my, I don't know, challenged. Uh, this one with Carew uh, is, I learned a lot of things and it was really great as well as fun. There's an interview coming up in a couple of weeks, if not a week after this episode, with Boyfriend, the rapper from New Orleans. And she really, um, you know, just changed my perspective on some things, provoked thought. And uh, that's another great thing about uh, kishibashi the music. It, uh, it really takes you into worlds that you may not be aware of. Maybe you are. I don't know. I'm, I can't speak for all of you, but I'm just saying it really uh, raises a lot of questions and also offers, I think, positivity and hope. And that's something I would like to have more of in the world. God damn it. <laughs> don't get me mad about the lack of hope. Okay, that being said, let's get on to this great... Conversation with Karu Ishibashi from the fantastic Ishibashi. The magic of the
1: season second I was only in Seattle until about five. I'm an East Coast guy. So I grew up in Virginia and then I, I ultimately I moved to New York City. I lived there for about 10 years. So I know about the big city.
0: Oh, I think my, maybe my dyslexia threw me off because I thought it was the other way around Virginia to Seattle. But that could just be my... Uh, my goofy no guy. no i'm a I'm an east coast guy so uh, did you uh was it hard to leave new york i'd lived in new
1: york for a while as well um it's a feeling like um you know how like you just get over a, an illness and you don't realize how sick you are until you've uh until you gotten better yeah uh, that's that's kind of how i feel about it you know it's just it's uh, yeah, I mean it's well okay in all fairness it's an amazing place you live there you know so yeah. um I, we had you know we had a kid and it was just like as a musician it was just month to month like credit card bills and it was so stressful I felt like a peasant
0: you know yeah yeah The in and the day to day in New York City was like when I left I felt like I could finally breathe like I was like oh I don't have to like
1: run all the time and <laughs> Yeah, we're like, oh, nobody shouted at me today, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird
0: that like when people say New York is harsh or like New Yorkers are gruff, it's like it's different. Or at least for me, it was different than I expected. It wasn't like it-, it wasn't like being in a Scorsese movie. It was just like it was hard in different ways, and
1: I don't know. But I, I have- mean for some people it's like a Scorsese movie I'm sure <laughs> you know but um I don't know I mean I think okay you know what you know the one thing that people always New Yorkers are like oh I just love this city and I think only New Yorkers say that because they, they need it's like a mantra to, to like mask all their suffering that they're going through like oh you know just I had a I wish I you know like oh, I got a taste of, I got to sit on some grass today or <laughs>
0: Yeah, I remember, like, a really bad day And just, like, walking through Times Square with, with And it was like a movie where people are like, hitting me in the shoulder And I was just like I was like, this is so cliche, but so real
1: <laughs> I mean, when I was moving out with my daughter The one thing I remember, we were driving down to Virginia Where my parents lived And, you know, I, and she was just looking out the window at the stars And she was, it was blowing her away You know, like, she's like, wow, the stars she's like six. She oh, never, yeah I don't think she'd ever seen them before you know honestly
0: yeah for did she end up having a yard and
1: all those things that make kids happy um yeah I mean right now ultimately after that we moved to Athens and now it's like you can see the stars all the time you know it's, we have a yard and we have back porches and front porches and barbecues we got a pool you know it's re- yes. real American life there. <laughs> yeah, no white picket fence, but lots of tall trees.
0: Yeah, you know. um, and because we talked about, didn't you went to school originally for uh, film score? Is that what like was film and film music? What drew you more closer to like?
1: Uh, I always liked composition, but it's also probably the practical, practical like Asian guy in me. Like I needed a job. You know, being a musician was a nebula- Was barely a job. To, in my head so maybe I thought like oh I'll have another skill set just in case and it's actually been great I've been you know until I was doing until I was doing my own thing uh, I was doing both like throughout yeah uh, yeah cause I
0: saw or uh, read that you initially well I read that you didn't believe you could make a living off of music which I guess like hearing your music that to, I know I'm sure there's a journey within that but hearing your music I'm like Jesus this guy's so good how could how could
1: how could he have doubt uh I don't know when you when you live in New York City uh doubt is just like you you get doubt for breakfast <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, you know grew I, mean? up, I, I grew up. I grew up in like an angry Irish household, so I think I was born <laughs> going, "This isn't real. This isn't like this is not going to be good." <laughs> is that how it is? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can I guess I can't relate, but you know. <laughs> did you? Uh, did, but because also, I read that you were into heavy metal music. I guess two things. That I don't know why when you hear somebody is into uh, music that is way outside of what they play, why that always surprises me. But that you were into metal and drums and bass, which I thought was.
1: You mean like are you are you referring to drum and bass? Yes, from the from the late late 90s. Yeah, I mean, um I'm Gen X, so you know, I grew up with like Nirvana was like my band in high school and then like Rage Against the Machine and then you know, metal I was a metalhead cuz I'm like, you know, your average adolescent teen dude who can't dance, you know? So you just kind of like that's you gravitate towards metal. This is my theory actually is that if you're young and you you really suck at dancing even if you like dancing you probably get into metal hardcore stuff that doesn't involve dancing because if you love dancing you would just l- listen to dance music all the time you know did you did you get into mosh pit at all yeah 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 oh yeah yeah like I I almost lost a tooth like in a tool show a long time ago yeah my friend definitely lost a couple teeth because <laughs> I th- I mean in, yeah Norfolk, Virginia a sailor town <laughs> <laughs> oh my god It was pretty The mosh pits were pretty Uh Epic
0: Yeah The, the mosh pits were, The first time I saw a mosh pit And it was like I don't know Maybe it was post Like it was the same era Actually But like there was dudes Actively punching people I was like I'm not I, I already was oh. getting hit <laughs> Enough as a kid
1: Like I was like Nowhere going I, I don't near know I, I don't know about that I mean it wasn't I never felt like people Were actively punching People were actively Like smashing into each other That's for sure Um Yeah it was. Was, I don't know what mosh pit you saw, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to an all-ages mosh pit. So. Oh, yeah. There was, like, a sect of Chicago punks that got really aggressive.
0: Like, there was that early punk scene, and then there was, like, the uh-huh. where it, it tra- attracted more, like,
1: frat guys, and um, so it got kind of... Uh, did mosh- punk did People mosh at punk shows I guess I didn't I didn't go to like Punk too many punk shows I don't like I don't like hardcore Like in Hardcore is like Really violent I don't remember Fugazi <laughs> would have Like
0: mosh pits And whatnot But they would always Stop it They would always like Stop playing And tell everyone To cool out Which was A lot of people Thought that was uncool But I was like
1: good because I don't want to get hit <laughs> <laughs> how about how about those crazy like European like hardcore shows where they like split them up and then they like get them to rush each other like a battle like they uh, they have you seen these videos they're insane no. it's like it's like a Celtic battle or like you know like they're just rushing each other like full force like they split up the entire like festival audience it's kind of crazy honestly I'm surprised that not that maybe people get hurt uh, or that it's not illegal you know, I'll, I'll have to, to, to look that up. Cause I've, that's
0: completely, uh, I've never, that just sounds insane to me. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, that's, <clears throat> I was shocked while scrolling through my Instagram just for a, 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 a like a brief second. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: I just, I'm, I'm always adverse to any sort of confrontation. So it was like, if I go to see music, the last
1: thing I want to do is participate in a confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm usually in the back, but I do remember, like, in my, when I was a teen, angsty teen, yeah, I'd go into the mosh pit. Sure. Yeah. Did you, because a friend of mine had a theory that
0: it, either we get into, there's, like, that dividing period of, like, it's either we go to, like, punk metal in our angsty teens or towards hip-hop. Did you go towards hip-hop at all?
1: I, like, rap too much, uh, but not, no, I wasn't, like, let's see, I got into rap, like, later, like, in, after, like, during college. You know i listened to the radio and listened to everything but um i guess rap was in its infancy around then early 90s so wasn't too much into it
0: yeah it, it to, at least it was kind of intermingled for a while because there was like i think pearl jam did a song with cypress hill like there was that weird sort of everybody was mashing it up together and it was do you remember that at all
1: it yeah, was, um, like Lincoln Park and Jay Z and stuff, like that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, I love Pearl Jam and I and Cypress Hill and I was just like, this is it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, wait, Cypress Hill are
1: those like white guys?
0: No, they're I th- I think it's a mix, but I think it's oh, they're okay. from Cypress L.A. like the neighborhood Cypress, so they're Latin right. mostly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember. I mean, Fresh Prince was like the first rapper I remember. <laughs> no, I remember <laughs> If that counts and then run run DMC. I guess after that, I remember Ice T, Cop Killer. Remember that one? Yeah, t-
0: it's so funny because I, I was thinking about it the other day because it was so many people were like upset about that song, and I'm like, now it's more timely than ever.
1: <laughs> Man,
0: LAPD back in the day, whoo, they're they famous. They're L.A. cops are. I as a guy who grew up in Chicago, I find L.A. cops they're both awful, but they're both terrible. They L.A. cops actually.
1: They're more blatant, I feel
0: like. Yeah. And Chicago cops tend to be on the chubby side, where L.A. cops are... They look like they 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 work at who they're going to beat.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chicago PD is no joke, either. They have a pretty... Isn't that... Yeah, the guy got arrested, the chief, from, like, the 90s. Oh, yeah. Boulder? I mean, yeah. it's,
0: like, steep, uh, steeped in, uh horrible. <laughs> horrible. Um, from... Uh, when you were because you started off playing violin and classical music was there something specific that like metal and and nirvana and those things were speaking to with you and did that had you already started
1: thinking about like playing music professionally or anything in that era no i mean i i was into metal just because I, I just like heavy stuff and i was a teenage teen guy but um i think so like uh you know, I was playing violin and, and chamber music, classical chamber music, a lot when I was a teenager, you know, in high school. But then I didn't think I could go professionally, like an orchestra player. I didn't know anything else. So I actually went to engineering school for a couple of years and then I flunked out. <laughs> and then I went to Berkeley College of Music for jazz and film scoring. And then that's haven't looked back. I mean definitely looked back a lot.
0: <laughs> but did you, know. you were were you sort of when you went to engineering school was your heart still in music and were you just half assing it or was it just not for your sort of
1: your maybe uh, not for your brain? It was a uh, I mean I went to Cornell so everybody's really smart and basically you have to study all the time and I couldn't I was just into music. You know, I was in the music dorm called Jam. <laughs> and, you know. It's <laughs> it stood for something too like maybe maybe even just about music (laughs) something awful like that um definitely a lot of rusted root and um dave matthew's band floating around the hallways um yeah so i had a folk rock band and i was clearly just not into engineering you know i was coasting by my roommate was super smart he was from mainland china so i copied a lot of his homework um yeah did you oh sorry Oh, and then yeah. Ultimately, I just I was put on academic probation, and then I switched to Berkeley College Music, and it was great.
0: Was were you depressed about flunking out, or
1: kind of relieved? uh No, it was like a crisis. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> the school is expensive. I mean, even back in the day when it's not like anything today, but you know, it was like my mom's whole salary. You know, she was putting in so I could go to. To call Ivy Leagues Ivy League school, I felt really bad. Um, so, but I was going to hang around, and play with the local band, and my dad's like, "No, you're going to go, just get a degree." And so I, I switched quickly, and it was the best decision I ever did.
0: Were they they Were they all right
1: with uh, you going to Berkeley, or were they r- locked <laughs> r- My Asian parents, no, uh, <laughs> no. It was a huge. Dis- I'm sure they were disappointed, but but they knew how much I love music, so I think they, you know they understood it made sense to them yeah. uh, thanks mom and dad and
0: and what what, what drew you to studying f- film scores specifically or and
1: you also studied jazz correct you said that yeah there's a famous jazz violin teacher probably the only place you could study jazz violin like improvisation on violin was at berkeley in boston at the time oh and i so, didn't know that that's why Yeah. was yeah, this guy matt glazer he's like a legend so i went to study with him and uh yeah, uh, film scoring was something I, I was always interested in. And composition, I was you know I composed, so this was a great opportunity. Kind of made sense. Jazz was just the thing I, I put my heart into, but it wasn't really a major for me. What, because I know I, I've read that you like
0: improvisation was something that really spoke to you, and I was wondering what what within the improvising music uh, did you find like f- what freedom or what it
1: well, inspired. I mean. I mean, I really got into gypsy jazz, like Django? Stefan Grappelli. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Django. Yeah. Stefan Grappelli. Like I had in high school, I started really starting to get into that. And, um, it's just really fun to play. And it's like, um, it's accessible, you know, it's like a step way into like a stepping stone into modern jazz, I think, you know, so, um, got into that. That's, that's what I wanted to do was to be like, like swing violinist, you know? So, um, that was really the beginning, I think.
0: Yeah yeah the first time I heard Django and Stefan Grappelli it was like the world changed. like it was what those moments it was epiphany music where you're like oh my god there's something completely different out there that I've never heard before
1: oh yeah and then it's like uh, like in high school I think I got a CD so my, my buddy bought me this CD you know Stefan Grappelli like live in London or something like that and I was like what, what is this and I looked for you know I looked for music and there's only one book written by this guy Matt Glazer called jazz violin i found it at the local like you know violin shop and um it took me a while to realize that he's really just improvising and these are just transcribed solos you know like 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 you know somebody re- wrote these solos down but you know and it, it you know start and then uh, it, and then i started this I, I found this local jazz pianist who kind of taught me a little bit about starting to improvise and so i
0: got into it is that because typically to me, improvising music just seems I, 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 terrifying. Like I, I'm not not that I'm musically inclined. But it's like I've improvised theatrically, and it's I don't know. There's like a set of rules, though. So is but is there rules within improvised music, or is
1: it some of because like yeah. free jazz is just like fuck it, let's go. Yeah, I mean that's of course they'd not like to think <laughs> of it like that. it's a high it's a high art. But that was my working the- class guy coming out. Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, improvisation is daunting to a lot of musicians, but I see it as like a language. So like, if you want to learn, if you want to speak another language, you have to learn the vocabulary, like words, phrases, you know, and then once you have all these things under your fingers, then you can start to like to speak the language, you know? So musically that means you learn the rhythms, you learn these, you know, um, melodic solos, you can like take bits and pieces of it, pieces of it and like transpose it into different keys. And then you're ready. Then you're like talking to the, to the guitarist or, you know, the chord progression. And so, yeah, it's, it's about vocabulary, like building it. Is, do, do was it easier for you to grasp
0: jazz or vice versa? coming from a classical opposed to perhaps
1: the other way around? I mean, that's really the only way at the time you could come from bluegrass. you could be, you could be like a bluegrass fiddle player and, and get into jazz that way but it was like there there weren't that many people honestly there weren't that many people playing jazz violin at the time um so is there because there's another guy from the swing era and i can't
0: i was trying to think of his name and he was chicago based and i can't think of his name oh joe Venuti,
1: not joe vanuti um chicago well, eddie lang actually lived in chicago who was a really famous uh, violinist he was african-american Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. He was like, um, you know, he was black, so he couldn't play in any any of the classical orchestras. So he just unfortunately had to switch to the violin. But fortunately for us, it was the most amazing, <laughs> <laughs> the most amazing uh, transformation. I, like he was, he, you know, he has he plays the Bach double, Prelude and the all these like classical things, like swings him up and improvises over him His recordings
0: was was hearing Stefan Grappelli, and was that sort of. <laughs> Was that an awakening at all of like what you could do with your violin?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Like that one, and um, I think like Kronos Quartet. Do you know Kronos Quartet? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, Kronos Quartet had a had a Bill Evans album uh, album which I really enjoyed, and I was listening to that a lot. Oh, I was a huge Kronos Quartet fan, and so um, you know I bought every album, and then that one I was like, wow they're like improvising. And then I realized it's like transcribed Bill Evans solo that they're playing. Really? I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. I do not Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a piece, it's called peace, peace. Oh, it's that's one of my heard. favorite Bill Evans tunes. Actually. Yeah. So that, that thing at the end where they're like, well, the first violinist is playing all those like really interesting things. That's a Bill Evans transcribed solo. Wow. And, and I was like, huh? Okay. And, you know, then it lost the magic for me a little bit, but you know, but that, <laughs> I thought they were improvising <laughs> You know what I mean um, all right. I had expected them to I
0: didn't know if like Because like uh, um, Like if you Because you were playing violin And then you Get into like Nirvana or anything If you were like Oh fuck I should have learned guitar Or if was there ever Any of that sort of
1: No Because I think You can just do anything You know You have time it's not like you just play violin unless you're going on that concert track and you need to be practicing hours and hours and whatever you have time to pick up a guitar and, and diddle along and go to shows. And, you know, I think like playing a lot of different instruments is really actually valuable for every musician. You know, it gives you a broader perspective on music. Do you, when you've, how many instruments do you play? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I play keyboards. I play piano too. piano guitar violin that's pretty much bass i play bass okay do you
0: switch off to what you use to compose to sort of to i don't know find
1: different inspirations or yeah i mean i try and like pick up whatever instrument um you know like i'll have a ukulele around and that'll just to like keep me excited So sometimes, you know, because my my job now is like a songwriter, so I have to come up with a song, so I need to be inspired. So I'll pick up, I'll even buy a new, you know, if there's a new synthesizer, I'll get it. If it has one cool sound on it that inspires a song, that's like worth it to me. Do you, because I was curious if there's a a different approach that you have to take, say, if you're
0: composing for a film to uh, writing a song, because I I think it, it was F. Delano that you said you just started Playing and sort of improvised that off, out of the gate. I think it was that song.
1: Yeah, um, that one. I remember I was well. The, the short story is that you know uh, there's a well, a long story. Okay, <laughs> there's 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 a couple of stories. I was really pissed off when I started writing that because my I my friend had stood me up this huge job in Las Vegas. We're at this uh, there's a hotel called the Delano. Um. And so he had, like, we had, I thought he'd gotten drunk and just, like, missed out on this job that we were doing together. Later realized he had been roofied and, like, <laughs> he had been, like, um, roofied, like, lost his phone and wallet like, kicked out of his room, like, naked. <laughs> and then, like, I just missed him. And so that's the, that's the, that's what half of the song is about. It also so happens that, you know, F. Delano Roosevelt, Delano is his middle name. It was all, you know, was, um, yeah, I wrote, that album was about Japanese internment, so it's just a funny <laughs> duality. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't know, I
0: mean, I figured the FDR angle, I didn't know. the roof Yeah, roof. there's a hotel,
1: yeah, there's a hotel called the Delano. So.
0: Um, but do you take a, a different approach when, can you improvise if you're composing for a film, or do you have to be more sort
1: of calculated about it uh well you you make a roadmap of what you want to hit but i think at first you're just noodling around and that's you're always just improvising that's what composers do you look at the you look at the scene and you kind of you get a mood and then like you put you put a roadmap like oh this is when when he drops that hat (laughs) that's funny that's a big moment when he realizes you know that his dad is not who he says he is i don't know something like that it ever get to
0: where you're like okay i nailed it where the guy dropped a hat and then the director goes the thing where the guy drops the hat
1: can you do something else yeah they're all all the time it's awful they like like, can you make it can you give it more like energy make it faster you're like oh i just spent the whole day writing this cue it's it's constant it's like it's really tough
0: not and i'm I'm not all directors are or or, you know have a lack of music knowledge i'm not saying because some are Uh, Are pretty but is it challenging to take notes from a guy who might or an individual who who might not know what he's talking about um
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) I think I think like you just learn to um yeah you just learn to ask a lot of questions make sure you're absolutely certain and then also you gotta keep your cool you know I heard I heard like a famous composer say in some interview he's like look I get a million dollars to he's like oh no he's like I get you know he's like I get a million dollars no he's like I get I get ten thousand dollars to write this score and then I get a million dollars to not throw the director out the window <laughs> 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 something like that you know that's like basically you know it's a lot of you just gotta cause you know the direct, ultimately you're serving the film and the vision of the director director may or may not know anything about music so it's really up to you to, to decide how you want to negotiate that relationship. Right. Yeah. Arguing sometimes with the
0: directors. But...
1: I, I mean, you can't, you can't really, you know, cause you have to keep, you have to make sure that he's happy. So you right. can't, you got to just convince him, you know, either with really music that he likes or just through talking.
0: Uh, one of the things that really strikes me about your music and something I, I don't, I don't know. I, I personally, when I listen to your music, it, Affects me emotionally Which is I don't know I feel like I go on Emotional And sort of A narrative Journey With a lot of your music Which I don't You don't find Or I don't find a lot Like I was listening to Your EP this morning While I walked my dog And I was I got Extremely emotional <laughs> Oh great Which I think You know I mean that's That's what music Is supposed to do It's supposed to But But you You handle complex uh, topics often with, with love and optimism, which I find really incredible and I, 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 I don't know if it's
1: hard to ask you like, or hard to answer, how, how do you do that? Well, I think like, especially when I'm writing about history, which I've been doing a lot recently um, is you know, you could always look back and wallow in misery at how awful human beings have been to each other but then what you kind of also feel is that you feel grateful for the sacrifices that people have put ahead of you so that you can live in comfort and not suffer the same way. So like, you know, you can also relate to them through like emotions like love and, you know, these are all like, that's how I relate to people in the past through histories. These difficult histories is that the resilience is that there's inspiration in the resilience of these people and that they have the same desires as you do. So that, that's how I connect.
0: Has that been a bit more challenging to find a way to do that,
1: say, over the past few years where things have been so tumultuous? Yeah, well, I'm I'm also very optimistic about, like, uh, you're talking politically, right? I think. Yeah. Which you're hinting at, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, as a liberal progressive person like myself, you know, I really, I was distraught at first, but then I realized that this country is really going through a turning point in that I see more and more people like, for example, I have a 15 year old daughter now, but I see her generation as being more inclusive, you know, and it's going to be more diverse anyways. So I, I, I think by the time they're like voting adults, this is going to be a really different country. So I see that and I still have hope and in, in that we are headed, ultimately headed in the right direction. Although there's people who would, you know like to disagree and I think we're headed in a more progressive, inclusive it's uh, direction.
0: It's strange to me that over the last I don't know, there's it's our generation, not all all, but there's a lot of pe- people who are like poo-pooed the younger generations. Poo-pooed is not something I usually <laughs> say. I don't know sure. The... sure Boomer. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I turned into my grandma. Uh <laughs> But like I have found that like you, I find hope with this younger generation and being more inclusive. And like, there's twenty year olds I know who like trans friends and like none of they don't they don't give a shit about it. They're just like yeah, people, let's hang. And it's so strange to me that people are like this younger generation. I don't know about them. I'm like,
1: what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know about how like inclusive they are, <laughs> like that. I mean, yeah, that's I think. Oh, that's what old people have always been saying about young people. I think it's just like, and I'm getting, as I get older, I'm like 45 right now. You know, I'm at that moderate, I'm progressive, but I'm also moderate. Meaning like, like, don't lose, you know, just don't let everything get to you. It's like progressive people, like a young person would be completely distraught thinking the world is ending, you know, because, because, you know their state didn't flip blue or whatever you know and so it's i'm I'm always there to assure them that um you know there's there's hope that you have a place Pro, you know younger people always tend to be more progressive so it's like and older people like we're like whoa whoa just let's slow down you know that's our that's our function <laughs> when i say us i don't know how old you are but, i'm um, in um, your ballpark i'm a little bit older okay. than you but i'm gen okay. x as well yeah gen x so like you know yeah and that are the beginning of a lot of progress well I don't know I think the 60s is probably the beginning of whoever whoever the bo- was that late boomers mid boomers yeah.
0: they sold out a bit though not to, yeah. not to be the o- okay boomer guy cuz that drives me nuts too because I'm friends with <laughs> I'm friends with Wayne Kramer of the MC5 and that guy is is yeah. progressive as like you yeah. know so when people are like okay I'm like you're going to just discredit an entire
1: generation <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's pretty small minded yeah but the other thing is, like, as we get older, we accrue wealth, so we get more privileged, and it's that's why we become more distant from, like, marginalized communities. That's why we, that's why I think we become less progressive as we get older.
0: I was going to add, do you, do you have to... Did you find yourself... Because I found myself as I got older... There was a period where I got grumpy and, like, ah, the new music, and then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, I stopped myself, and I was like, you're wrong. And I had to actively... And I was just curious if you went down that road at all, at all, where you found yourself as you,
1: uh, no, I, I'm always of the fact that like talent and like, you know, like music and art and stuff like that, it's like can exist and emerge from like any age. So like an 18 year old could come up with some brilliant idea or like an awesome hook or something that'll blow everybody's mind, you know? So it's like, I don't, I always think because we're human beings, we're so, um, uh, in, gene, in uh, what is what's the word? We're just so crafty. What's a <laughs> that's an old word too. Yeah, she's so crafty. <laughs> um, uh, and wow, we got so much ingenuity. And that's what I'm trying to say. But um, you know, I believe in every generation having its like Mozart. So it's like I never discount young people and their and their music. And I'm excited, honestly, every time I see hear something new. It's like everybody's got something new and cool that's uh, i like that
0: I mean, it's i I, I, f- I feel like i had to start surrounding myself with more better thinking people to keep inspired and fresh because i didn't i don't want to become that stagnant
1: individual i think it's yeah i think I've, yeah i think like maturity is something that has to be like earned you know you can see a mature composition or something like that from years of you can see that you can feel that experience but so, like, when I see a young person have a lot of maturity, that surprises me, you know, in, in a different way. But a young person can have a really creative idea, and that I think that's just as valid as any anything we can come up with in our generation. Have you seen the changes
0: in 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 your music mature or progress as the years have gone
1: by? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the kind of thing I'm trying to do, like in, intermixing history with like. Um, and then like certain social justice things like that's something I never would have done when I was younger or be able to like navigate in a, in a fluid way, something that I, you know, um, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you in a week. Did you,
0: okay. what, what made you, were there specific things that led you towards like, I'm going to start focusing on history and, uh, uh, within your music?
1: Yeah. You mean like Trump? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I mean, there's so much anti-immigrant, like rhetoric that like, as an, you know, as a son of immigrants. Um, and also there was like talk of like internment camps being a precedent for, you know, the Muslim ban. People were just saying that like blatantly and a lot of getting a lot of support. And I was just like, that's why I really felt threatened. So I wanted to like arm myself with like information and really understand what, um, you know, how it's similar, how it's dissimilar to like 75 years ago, you know, of how like, you know, people can just lock up another, you know, entire race of people just based on, you know, fear. And so that's when I, that's when I really started getting into just uh, minority identity in this country. Cause I think I had been denying it of my, like my own identity for like a long time just to like thrive in my very white indie rock genre, you know, was it?
0: It, did did that because I've read how you said you about how you feeling like an outsider within your own country, and then was that also uh, did you feel outside the indie rock world?
1: Yeah, I mean it's always a struggle for acceptance. There weren't any like Asian males I don't that I can think of that I like looked up to or aspired. You know, what I mean it's it's very it was usually like a skinny white guy <laughs> or like or a hot indie <laughs> rock chick. You know. <laughs> And so it's, it was those two categories, you know, and even violin, you know, there's only like Andrew Bird, maybe Owen Pallett. That's about it. So I just kind of ignored my identity and just did my best with just try, I guess, trying to be honest with my own personality. That's, you know, I'm just like a casual, you know, friendly guy. So I kind of went with that atmosphere as opposed to being like, you know, the dark stranger that people seem to like. <laughs> rock.
0: Was there a a moment a moment where you felt like you became aware of like, okay, I need to address this sort of uh...
1: yeah, I think when like it, like a lot as I started touring a lot, you know, like Asian people, Asian guys would actually ask me, they're like, hey, how do I get into this industry or like, you know, do you ever feel discrimination? That's when I started to realize that there's that maybe I'm either a lucky or I'm yeah, or actually more mostly that I'm lucky, you know I'm like really, really skilled at music, like analyzing my own music. That's how I've like, I can figure out problems with it like pretty, pretty quickly. And that's helped me like, you know, connect with a lot of people with my music, I think. But, um, yeah, that's when I realized like, you know, I don't have, other people don't have it so easy. They're still on the outskirts of whatever their field is. You know, they don't feel like they can uh, fully be that, that person that they want to. Do you feel that that is changing at all? Yeah, I think so. I I feel like, uh, you know, for almost every minority, it's just like we're, again, headed in in the right direction, you know, and that it's going to get easier and easier. Like Hollywood's confronting itself, you know, that's like huge, I think. Music industry, uh, I don't know to what extent how racist the music industry is, but um, I don't know, jury's still out on that one. (laughs) It's definitely... (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Oh, I was just
0: going to say there's definitely, because I have a lot of female guests and the, the sexism and
1: chauvinism that goes on. Oh, yeah. It's like, but I feel like... That, that's why that's why I did a couple songs, like a couple covers. I made sure there were female songwriters because I feel like that's an underrated, um, you know, field, like female songwriters. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, the, the other word that I was like worrying, uh, wondering about the other day is, like, Americana. Like, what is that word? If, is it, like, American? This is, like, truly American music? Is it? Is it some kind of, like, nativist genre description?
0: Yeah. I mean, that seems like that excludes a big junk. <laughs> it's funny because <laughs> I was thinking about that word, like, two days ago as well and was like, what the fuck is,
1: like yeah i mean it's folk it's very white folk folky bluesy but black people wouldn't be doing like Americana, right no you're right it's very it's country white honky we could say honky it's kind of hot yeah it's honky it's mellower it's honky cracker music yeah it's americana (laughs) it's american yeah i think it's kind of nativist you know to to think of it like that
0: yeah, and I've actually I had recently had an indigenous musician on, uh, and he's also an artist, and it was just that sort of like there's, and like um, Link Ray was in was Native American, and he just had to yeah. had to hide it didn't he hit it
1: for years, and it's just like crazy. Yeah, I mean that's kind of I just ignore the fact I'm Asian, you know. Uh, I do have I do have a Japanese sounding stage name Kishibashi, so it's just a it's a variation of my last name. Have you found
0: people reacting and and uh, to the, the, when you've made the turn towards history? Have do you see people reacting and sort of and I guess growing and learning from
1: that? Um, yeah, I mean people. Uh, I make sure that all my fans have like followed me and my journey. I'm also making this very large documentary that's going to explain everything I've been doing in the last four years. So
0: that's because I, I was going to bring that up because I heard yesterday while researching you that you were doing a documentary, which uh, I can you talk about any of that? or?
1: Yeah, um, I've been working on it for four years. Um, and so, uh, so you, you know, Cody, right? Yeah. your friends with Co- yeah I, so well, Cody- i know
0: i'm from dealing with like booking people i, I we don't get oh, okay. we don't go do
1: shots and tattoos together <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, together <laughs> yeah separately um, yes <laughs> separately uh yeah so he you know he's the engineer he was the engineer uh at the new De- new world symphony uh space in miami and so like that's uh there's a you know, I did this big like symphonic piece there with like visuals. And so that was the beginning of like this documentary filming experience that I had where I went to internment camps. And then like four years later, it's I, I, you know, after, after going to Chicago too, Chicago, there's a big story element there too. But, um, having like, it's a it's this uh and it documents the creation of my album omoyari of the same name um it's this like two an hour and a quarter hour and three quarters very long film but like about just me and my kind of discovering like what it is to be japanese american a minority pretty comprehensive like survey of it while i make music and perform all around the world i guess
0: uh what inspired you to start making the documentary and Was that, having studied, did film composition assist having that understanding
1: of film in a degree? Did that help? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the genre, I'm calling it a song film. And so it's like, it's the idea is that the music was created at the same time as I went to go and uh, understand these like historical sites. And so um, I think film composition, like I, I, I see film in okay i i see like film score as always being like serving the film but in this case i wanted it to be an equal balance you know which is doesn't happen that often where the filmmaker is also the the composer that puts you actually in a rare company of people
0: who've composed and directed a film yeah it's like a composer's dream i think Chaplin is one Charlie Chaplin Charlie Chaplin composed And scored his own film His his silent film (laughs) (laughs) Well he had some talkies Did he? Yeah He had a Actually he had a bunch of talkies Um, Yeah he's a really
1: He's a really talented guy I have to check that out He he scored his own movies
0: I don't know if he scored all of them But I know he did score some Woody Allen Hmm. Who I can't really enjoy anymore <laughs> i was oh, yeah. a-
1: he's, he's, oh my god i watched that documentary it's like
0: what a monster i i was the a very large a big fan of his and then it just i mean i was yeah. done with him bef- I, before the documentary yeah, i was too i was too we all were it's, unfortunately well to me it's like he appealed to me because you know i couldn't get the girl and i always ended up alone and i found a comfort in that sort of loneliness
1: Hmm. And he's a big but, but, but he he did get the girls <laughs> lots of them of various ages <laughs> including his own <laughs> set, like children. I don't know, it's kind of messed up. Yeah. I mean not it's really messed up. But yeah, I mean he's he's a brilliant filmmaker, you know. But then I also learned that a lot of times after his initial few films, you know that he's famous for, he has this business of just like getting actors to to what does he do? Oh, he gets actors to, to waive, like, their big fee, like, famous actors to waive their big fees so they can just be in a Woody Allen film. And then he'll, like, market that as, like, a big part of the movie to, like, get lots of investors. And then, like, that's, like, that, that's like his business model is to pay oh, famous actors. Yeah, every and that's why he's, every year there's a movie, you know.
0: Because he's, like, wildly... Like he's filthy rich And I was always like You're doing these small movies On low budgets I'm like how did you fucking get Like a hundred and He's like worth
1: hundreds of millions Yeah And how'd you get Glenn Close Or I don't know How'd you get Natalie Portman In your movies Because they they do it for like Whatever Just to be in that movie And then he's like I got Natalie Portman In this movie And gets investors And then You know And then worldwide I think worldwide They're like Oh Natalie Portman You know Wow he's a fucking con artist On top of it yeah, I mean a talented con artist, <laughs> <laughs> <A> pedophilic <talented laughs> con artist, I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, Broadway Danny Rose and like Radio Day, like those. There's certain films of his that are are so great, but
1: like I just like I can't I can't watch it now. I mean, he was a highly influential filmmaker. I mean, that whole like internal monologue thing. I think that's his. I think he was really influential in starting that. Like, you know, that internal like you follow the person's just mind. Yeah. Mostly just talking, like that's a Woody Allen thing. You know? Yeah,
0: I've seen so many people rip him off and people like I don't know if people like five, there's scenes in 500 Days of Summer where I'm like that's a fucking that's like almost ripped out of a Woody Allen movie and I'm like <laughs> people are like that movie is great and I'm like it's Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's how influential he is. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, just like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the same category.
0: Uh, who Who else Who's? Uh, oh Polanski Polanski's another scumbag Pol- just gonna go.
1: Polanski Yeah Also my recent one uh, My big disappointment Is uh, H.P. Lovecraft Oh he's yeah a, I loved his books And then I was like When I was in Providence I was doing a talk at Brown Or something I was like Hey I'm gonna go to The H.P. Lovecraft Square They're like uh, He's getting cancelled right now Did you realize <laughs> I'm like what Did- And I was like Oh wow did you? A staunch racist. <laughs> is
0: there that element of like, because there's so many of my, uh, here, not heroes, but you know, the people I admire creatively that have just been destroyed for me. Just, do you like get weary of like, oh, I don't want to learn about who? who? Uh,
1: you mean like, um, Dr. Seuss or like Mark Twain or something? Yeah. God, I think like. It's, uh, I think it's a, I think they're varying degrees. I think honestly, if the author or their society kind of like makes, makes up for it, I think it's forgivable. Cause it's still art. You know, if they did some awful, you know, if they did awful things. It definitely sours it for, I, I think it's up to you to decide if you really, you know, how, how much you're going to love that artist, you know?
0: Yeah. It's just, I mean, I've known some, personally known some brilliant people famous and non in my life or been around, and it's like, you know, and then people, they sometimes pull out of it. It's like, sometimes people are just messes and they're f- fucked up for a variety of reasons.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, even like that Dr. Seuss guy, I don't know, Giesel, <laughs> you know, his, his name. I mean, he was, he did some very anti-Japanese, like racist stuff during the war, like propaganda, aided in the propaganda, you know. And then, uh, and for that, like, I don't think the Japanese Americans ever like forgave him. But then... You know he's he's also created wonderful wholesome books for like generations you know and i think his society acknowledges that and then so i think a lot of people allow that you know it's basically going from beloved to loved to liked you know and then to respected and then <laughs> i think after respected it's just <laughs> you're just amongst other you know people
0: i wonder so. if people are more aware of that of like when they're Reaching fame of, like... Because before, it's like people could just get away with whatever the hell they wanted because they were
1: protected in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, like, if yeah i mean well that's the worst part is you see like that michael jackson documentary i don't know if you've ever seen it but he's my wife and i got
0: a hotel and we thought we were gonna have a romantic evening
1: (laughs) romantic evening of finding neverland or what is it called something neverland
0: yeah and then we were a we were just too tired because we were new parents but also it was just like we started watching that and it's like
1: we ain't gonna get down now (laughs) <laughs> well the, well the whole thing is all in all the footage he's like hanging out with like hey got my little buddy with me like on tour and the press conferences and people i remember seeing that and be like oh he's got his little buddy with him macaulay colkins just hanging out with michael you know and then i was like we all just forgave the, either forgave that or just like turned a blind eye to it you know and i think we're all we're just all to blame
0: yeah know? no one wants that's a that no one wants to, is it's hard for the world to address that still and it's weird it's odd that we i think
1: we're getting better at it but yeah i mean if it, if a dj put a you know if i was in the midst of a heated you know dance <laughs> this uh, i don't know what are they called <laughs> dance party a dance party then uh, i can't even remember what those are like um in a heated dance party someone put on a michael jackson song i'd probably dance you know yeah i wouldn't like i'd feel conflicted but, you know, I'd probably dance. You just, you just
0: acknowledge Quincy Jones then. Be like, man, Quincy
1: Jones did a great job. Man, this. Great, great producer, man. <laughs> Look that's that snare drum. Man, <laughs> he knows how to Red a hook. I mean, yeah, Quincy, okay, that's fine. No, I could see, but that's like my mind um, just acknowledge. you know, just erasing Something that's cognitive. Was that yeah. cognitive dissonance. That's how I justify Woody Allen movies.
0: Man, that Gordon Willis—that's one hell of a <laughs>
1: cinematographer. <laughs>
0: Man, that
1: shadow. How do you get that? Like, oh, that noonday shadow. How's it possible?
0: Were, <laughs> were there any elements like that with directing your film? That uh, challenges that you didn't expect. And and,
1: and... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have to be as really progressive. You know, I can't. I definitely had to become upstanding in, all, in everything I did for the past four years because it's about social justice and marginalized communities. And um, yeah, I mean, that part was challenging. I did drink a lot. I definitely <laughs> tried to, like, <laughs> I don't know. In all my travels, you know, like I always try and in my Instagram or whatever, I always make sure the people, I got a lot of drinks going on because I don't want people to think I'm like this, like, saint, you know and then be shocked when they find out I'm a lush you know so <laughs> do you
0: do, think pe- that? <laughs> do people <laughs> get the wrong impression of you in that regard okay okay
1: the reason why I do this is because Yo-Yo Ma right he's like a famous like lush I I've guess have heard you know but it was a shock you know that he's so drunk he left his cello in that New York taxi cab you know so I don't want to be like I don't want people <laughs> to be shocked by something stupid like drinking a lot you know uh it feels, like, mildly innocuous. I'm not hurting anybody, you know? No. So. Yeah, I
0: wonder what, uh, yeah. But yet then, like, uh, Slash throws up and passes out in his own vomit in a bar in Chicago, <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah. Slash.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's allowed to do... He's cultivated I mean, that, for sure. Yeah, I'm just saying, I play violin, I wear a bow tie on stage, so I don't, but I don't want people to have that, you know, the wrong idea, that I'm, like, some kind of, like, straight-edged saint... Just for kicks
0: You should just like Punch somebody in the front Just once Just to Just to really Okay Like uh Like Gigi Allen or something I had friends who would go see him In Chicago And I was like No fucking way Like no way Am I gonna go Subject myself to that
1: (laughs) What did he do in Chicago Like what kind of stuff would he do He
0: Well (laughs) There was a club The location doesn't exist anymore But then it got corporatized Like a corporate punk But there was a Club And he would Like every Halloween He would do a show Or not every But he would say He was gonna Kill himself on stage And one of the (laughs) ways He was gonna do it Is by putting A grenade up his ass Oh my god Which he never Did But like It was the only place That would house him In Chicago That would let him play But like he would Throw poop and all the all all, this, all the classics, all the cheesy classics.
1: <laughs> Classic number two, number one.
0: And uh, I, like I'd seen footage of it because a friend of mine d- d- at the time like worked with him in some capacity, and I was like,
1: "Why would you pay?" Why did he have like did he have albums and stuff? Like, what's his music like? It's
0: bad. Some people Just like punk. it, which I think it's it's like punk is, rock. Yeah, it's like hardcore punk kind of. Uh, he does do a cover of MacArthur Park, which is strange.
1: <laughs> do you think Do you think his, like, uh, his bandmates are just, like... Are they, like, support enablers of him? Is it just, like, his gang, roving gang of like,
0: fuck-ups? Oddly, Todd Phillips' first feature film is a G.G. Allen documentary. I think it's called Sick. <laughs> How he went to The Hangover uh, from that is
1: beyond me, but... Oh, he's a director of The Hangover?
0: Yeah, Todd... And... And the Joker, but that's his very first film is a document mm. and he toured
1: with <laughs> Gigi. And Yeah, is he a nice guy? Is Gigi a nice is that a stage persona or is he just or is he just a drug drugged up like freaking freak he fanatic? Was,
0: yeah, I think he was probably a pretty damaged I mean I don't there's like stage persona and like there's Alice Cooper and then there's Yeah. <laughs> Alice, yeah Alice goes Alice. and plays golf afterwards.
1: Yeah, he seems like a
0: down to earth guy. Um, you know. does God at least in the, on the EP? God comes up of,
1: uh, often. Maybe uh, I also do. A, that's a cover. There's a song called um, "Laughing with God." That's that's a Regina Spektor cover. Oh, and you played with her, right? Yeah, I was in her band for like a year. Was that when you were in New York? That yeah, I was a hired gun. So it's so, uh it was great. It was like a huge, um, New York tour. I mean, sorry, her huge like worldwide tour. So we did like sold out, um, radio city music hall, you know, we did like two nights, Sydney opera house, just like all these huge places all around the world. You know, do you ever, cause I,
0: I mean, obviously you're highly accomplished. Do you ever like play something like that? And you're just like, how the fuck did I get here?
1: Yeah. It was one of those, uh, hashtag blessed <laughs> moments, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, Radio City was like pretty big for me. It was like, I'd never seen. Oh, and I opened up with my, my rock band Jupiter one. I could convince Regina Spectre to let me do that. Oh, but, that's cool. um, so you did yeah. two shows in one
0: night. Is that remotely, is that exhausting at all? Uh, no,
1: I've done like three. I did one tour where I was doing like three. No, I was, no, it's just, uh, I cared that much about my career. So, you know, <laughs> promoting my band, uh, actually, once I was so, I got like sick, like I had like a fever and then I, I went on stage, did my Jupiter One show, sweated, just changed out of my sweaty clothes and then did my Regina Spector show and then I was drinking by the end of the night and I was cured. <laughs> I, I sweated it out, I sweated out the disease just from... Just pure
0: chi. So the best way to beat a flu is become an accomplished musician.
1: Play three <laughs> just, shows in one. Night. Yeah, just yeah. Play two shows in one night. Yeah, just sweat out, sweat it out with shows. And then maybe that's what we should have been
0: doing during COVID—just uh, playing two concerts, playing at night. shows, just for nobody, just socially distanced, sweaty shows. Did you feel like in your early days that you were
1: very driven to? Yeah. I I feel like, yeah, yeah. I was really always desperate, especially when I lived in New York, you know, just like everybody's just, it's like a rat race, you know, to get to the top. And then, then, yeah, there's, there's no real top, you know, you don't realize that till you're halfway there.
0: That's interesting. I've never heard. So you got to what? the top so to speak and
1: were you just like now how was that what would what... well i mean okay there's what i consider that i don't even know what the top is i guess but like right now like i make a living just making my own music which is like for me the dream you know i didn't have that in new york so i was always a freelancer always trying to get to that point um but you know i could be on tv you know i was on all like the tv shows with regina and also of montreal and that was cool and I don't know. It's like, uh, I just felt like in New York, you know, you play with another musician, like, yeah, that's great, man. Sound great. But in their, in their, in their head, they're like, ah, they're jealous of your gig or something, (laughs) you know, It's, It's trying to figure out how you got that gig, et cetera, et cetera, you know, which is, it's, uh, well, I mean, sometimes there's, there's people like that, you know?
0: When you're playing with Regina or of Montreal, and you look over at Regina, are you, were you thinking like I want to, I want to be, the, I want to be there,
1: I want to be in her spot? I don't <laughs> no, be- no, 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 no. I mean, I, I was, I was like really happy where I was, you know, supporting because she's an incredible artist. Yeah, like she, she just knows. I don't know if you've been to a concert, but she knows how to completely grab the audience's attention. And like, listen, to, you know, she, she's like a master of that. So like, yeah, I, I learned that from her.
0: I was going to say Did you Playing off to the side Did you sort of Were you taking notes The whole time Like okay When I get up front I'm going to do A, B, and C Mm. I'm going to punch the guy In the front row (laughs) Punch the guy in the front (laughs) row
1: Hit on his girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) Um, No I don't know I mean I learned I learned a lot I didn't actively Like when I'm on my gig And touring with You know Making music That I want to You know I just think about music And where I am And be present it's only when I'm bored that I start thinking about how do I improve my, my career or how to improve myself. You Have know, you done that when you're in shows where you're like you're playing, but you're like, oh, I got to do laundry. <laughs> well, when I used to play, I used to play in the big Apple circus. I don't know if you knew it's on the, it's a New York circus. Uh, I was in the band. So all the same while, while I was doing my band and also touring with Regina a little bit, but um, yeah, we used to play chess. <laughs> we had a chess board between me and the, the sax player the band was great you know <laughs> so be, but they allowed us to and I think broad, a lot of Broadway pits allowed us to you know you can just space because if they can't see you audience can't see you so it's like who cares what you have under you know their sight and so like trapeze would be like doing like triple flips we'd just be like, I'd be like checkmate Got you. and the sax player would like mess up the sax player would like blow like a honk a note because she's just so pissed off that I like just like checkmated <laughs> you know People ever
0: have drinks under their chairs in the orchestra pit? No, nah, I think,
1: no, nah, I think that was something that was frowned upon. Is that union, union gig? Yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. The union gig. Yeah. I yeah. don't think you can really drink on Broadway. It's frown, frowned upon. I definitely drink on my shows. That's for sure. <laughs> do you, do you feel that uh, helps you at all? Here's what's funny. I used to like think uh, that I needed it to play better, to loosen up. And then one tour I went completely sober and then I realized I don't need it. It was just like a psychological thing. So now I don't now I don't need it to go on stage. Like I'm sober. Do you now you just solely go sober or you once in a while or no nah, no, nah, I still drink a lot. It's just on stage. <laughs> just on stage. You know, going on stage, like standing in front of somebody for like an hour and a half or two hours. I don't have to be like buzzed. I used to think I, I used to think I needed to be buzzed. But yeah, but not, uh, not after I realized. Yeah. Preferred drinks? What are you what are your preferred oh, drinks? Just hard alcohol. It whiskey like te- uh, no, tequila, I think. Yeah, like silver tequila. 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 Silver tequila. Whiskey's too uh, that's we had to take yeah, we had to take whiskey off the rider. A, a lot of bands who are serious about their bands <laughs> will <laughs> will will take whiskey off of the rider cuz it just just ends up in like somebody like lost or like smashed something or a big fight you know whiskey's got whiskey's got the devil in it a little bit i like whiskey but you know
0: yeah it's the the hangovers like when i i don't drink anymore but when i did like whiskey hangovers i was like oh now i know how the english invaded ireland with such ease
1: so many (laughs) times (laughs) because they had their gin yeah they had their gin and we were all just like Yeah Gin gin kind of fucks me up Actually I have to Gin hangovers Are the absolute worst for me Gin is evil to me And it
0: doesn't uh, It's never been like Some uh, Like other Like tequila and whiskey I could be like Oh this tastes pretty Like you could There's notes of this Or whatever Gin I'm just like I'm drinking my grandma's Like (laughs) socks Somebody ran water through grandma's socks
1: (laughs) There's like Hints of (laughs) Colonialism and, And Just Dominating did, well, the, is there gin. humor
0: at all in your documentary? Because you're a very funny fellow, and I was wondering uh, if you infused.
1: Because uh, uh, a little bit, yeah. There's there's like here and there. I think just like the ver- the backstage moments and stuff like that. So because it's such a uh, serious topic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to like get really super funny and and like cute with it because it is. But it's but in the musical moments, you know, we try and lighten it up. I think just to keep people not so depressed <laughs> about you, everything.
0: Were there any things so while well on sort of that journey that you discovered about yourself and your own uh, history that surprised
1: you? Um, well, the movie about, is about Japanese internment, but I'm not connected to it. And so, like, a lot of, you know, my parents came after the war. And so um, what I realized is that... Uh, being uh, kind of like being Asian American is is a really interesting place in the social hierarchy, if you want to call it. It's like because you know because with the Black Lives Matter movement and being like really conscious about real like real modern day brutality and modern and marginalization, you know it's, it, as Asian persons we want to support you know Asian people who are privileged. I feel like we're 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 privileged and we're not, you know. So it's that—that's what I started to realize the nuances of being an Asian person. That—that's something that really started to make sense to me. It's complicated, you know.
0: Yeah, I was—I recently, and I'm ashamed. It took me decades to read Malcolm X's autobiography, but he pointed out that in World War II, he's like, "How come they? Were, how come they didn't put the, uh, German Americans into camps?" Because, yeah. because they were white, obviously, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'd like, I, and this is probably my whiteness, but I was like, fuck, I never thought of that. And
1: that's like... Well, it's like, um, there's also like a lot of lobbying on the West Coast to to deprive this whole population of their wealth. Like, they were really good farmers and fishermen. So it was like competition. So when Pearl Harbor happened, it's just like, that was these, there was a bunch of groups, like anti asiatic groups that were just like see we got to get rid of these guys they could be enemy they're like enemies within our midst and then then a lack of leadership just allowed that to happen you know and, and then you, and your your heavy dose of racism and war hysteria contributed to it all so I mean yeah it's it's a it's a really interesting history you know yeah I never knew that about the
0: the I mean it goes right back to good old capitalism too which also is
1: undoubtedly intermingled with racism. Yeah, it just has to do with like being feared. So if if you're feared by the white man, then you're going to end up on the good side of the, on the bad side of the law. You know. So like, whatever. It's like uh, even like Native American. You know, like when they had like those horrible um, like relocation plans and stuff like in the fifties. Um, you know, they were talking about like how to breed out the Indian. And they were, and they were saying like, like three generations of interbreeding, interracial uh, breeding would, would make them white. And this is what eugenics people were talking about, you know? So it's the idea of like, how do we, how do we get people white and not, and so that we don't feel like fear that we're feared of them anymore. And I think that's the real root of like, why, like, why there's police brutality and why, you know, white people call cops on black people, et cetera, but not on Asians. You know what I mean? Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. From talking, I, I, I try to read and educate myself as much, but after interviewing two like, two indigenous artists, one guy I had on twice, and it was just like... The the amount that, like, up until the early 2000s, there was, like, boarding schools where they were trying... Where they would, like, essentially beat your race out of you. Like, literally beat... Like, it was just... Yeah, to it's, think that, that that's twenty years ago that that still was happening is, and pro- still happens, I'm sure, to many levels is just
1: appalling. Yeah, it's a uh, it, that's a really really awful story that I feel like we, uh, like mainstream society hasn't really acknowledged yet. You know, like all the violence, poverty of like res- reservations, and also just that removal program, as well as the assimilation program they had, where they the social services just like took all the kids put them in boarding schools Yeah, that's it's awful but it's so sad i feel
0: like our country still is not i forget the the, the exact situation but the vice president the other day was like chastising some country's leader and i was like hey man it's like we got
1: plenty of that here like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's uh it's all about priorities you know you think like I was thinking the other day, like Elon Musk is just all about going to the moon, and the billions of dollars we spend on, you know, going to the moon could really help, you know, a lot of people. But then you also think about innovation, capitalism. You know, the idea about capitalism is it creates wealth that was never there to begin with by making life easier. So there's an argument, both. Like for example, if we just went straight to socialism and or communism all innovation would stop because nobody's incentivized to do it and then all of a sudden you know we wouldn't have any more better technology i don't think you know that's the argument that capitalists would make where do you sit on that argument uh just both <laughs> i understand <laughs> i understand well i understand the need for like reward and innovation Yeah. You know? you see it in medicine even like music i i benefit from ip like intellectual property because i'm my cop my songs are protected and i get paid you know and so like i can thrive because of that yeah so, i them. mean i would that to me seems logical and that people should have owned
0: what they create and that shouldn't be uh but like you know vaccines
1: and all that it's like why are well, i we mean being... Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're, right? Just yesterday, right? They're gonna Biden announced that he's gonna like try, like, what is it? Absolve? Not absolve the patent, but you know, let other countries go. And then the pharma industry is like freaking out, you know. But if the pharma industry wasn't getting rewarded, they that vaccine may not even exist. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. I I don't have the brain to figure out how to solve that but it's like yeah. but
0: it's like i mean people should have health care like that's absurd to me like that it, I, it that's something i think about daily of like uh this year like uh, i'm doing well because i worked on a television show so it's like but next year, so i'm but like you know because we have california Health insurance But next year I might have to pay For my own health insurance And I have two kids And if that If I have to pay For my own health insurance I am fucked
1: (laughs) Oh yeah It's like a It's Really expensive I'm gonna have to I mean Yeah Do you I mean What's that
0: Oh I was gonna ask If you get If you still get like
1: Insurance through The musicians union Or if you're No No I'm pretty much Georgia only had like One place you could go to You know And it's like, so for like a freelancer, you know, so I was basically doing that, but, oh, actually I was, I was actually part of a a medical, a Christian medical network, which I had to, you have to to profess your love for Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I gladly did to pay their premium uh, because it's cheaper.
0: Oh yeah. I'm all for Jesus. (laughs) If I get a low premium. And they they pray for you uh, a little bit too. Oh Um, yeah. I got my mom's doing that. So I don't know if I,
1: yeah, you probably just in case they're listening. Probably not, but yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, but if you want to do anything trans or you know something to do with AIDS, then nope, they will not cover anything. Is concerning.
0: Th- yeah. Is that hard? Is it hard to live in? A, a, I know, like Athens is, but is it it's really hard? Progressive. To live? But is the state because is that is that oh. challenging? I'd,
1: um, I would say. No, I mean, we flipped blue this time. It's an indicator that the state is changing, you know, but, um, like I never thought I would live in the South, you know, as a minority, but Athens is really cool. Atlanta's a big city, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a, I'm a white
0: dude and I don't know if I could live in, like, I I think I would lose my mind. And I, I, I mean, I, I I wouldn't mouth off to somebody with a Trump flag because I like having teeth, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I I like living in Athens. Um, But also, it's like, you know, this is my home. I just live here now, so...
0: Yeah, because a lot of my friends have moved to North Carolina recently. And friends of friends, like, it's crazy. And I guess it's like... But I'm like, I don't... And they're like, if you leave that triangle of Raleigh and Durham and it's
1: that you're in for a real, you know... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a it is the south with their their history so are you enjoying the fried food down there um yeah is it any different is it like more deeply (laughs) fried deeply I
0: don't know they're supposedly the southerners are better at frying stuff aren't they I think they just yeah they probably just fry stuff
1: because it just goes bad quicker (gasps)
0: I just, I worked in Atlanta for like a week and I just, I, but at the end of the week, I just felt like between that, like heavy drinking and eating, you know, Southern food. I just was like, I probably shaped a good five years. <laughs> yeah. I think people
1: just live less longer in the South, you know, it's just, yeah, it's if they vote tough. for Trump, that's okay by me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the culling of the
0: South um thank you and uh, just okay. real quick we should do a gg allen cover band That's if just okay. think yeah. about that sleep on that okay <laughs> well thinking about it right now all right thank you very much the magic of the season was second to no water. thank you very much for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me, as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or conversations with conversationswithdwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.